As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open, how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month as a New Year's resolution? You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show. Today, as the last Trump brings the rapture overseas, the Premier League toys with a change of leaders too. United, then Leicester, then City, then United. With top spot changing hands, like Inspector Gadget, we ask who were the midweek's biggest winners. And then we look ahead to the weekend in the FA Cup. From Man United Liverpool to Chorley Wars, we check out the fourth round stories and his stories that matter in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. It's the 21st of January, 2021. And with us today on the Toady Football Show, it's hello to Tom Williams. Hello, James. Duncan Alexander's with us. Greetings, everybody. Nice. And also Adrian Clark. Howdy. Hi, Adrian, from your den with your framed shirts on your wall. Yeah, it's all I've got left. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna milk milk them for all they're worth. <laughs> nice. You still get a smile, Adrian, and you've still got football. Did you enjoy the midweek action? I did. Yeah, I thought I thought it was. Um, I really enjoyed Leicester's performance. A um, bit of drama, obviously, with United coming from behind. I have to say the the thing I'd pick out, and I know that it's been mentioned a lot online, is the James Madison interview. I think it's just because. He seems so different from all modern day footballers in that he's not scared of just speaking and opening his mouth. But but for me personally, that interview just made me want to be a footballer again. He was just so open, so excited about his job, about playing with his teammates, about, you know, uh, analysing his own game. And I have to say, it it just made me reflect a little bit, even though I've been retired for donkey's years. It made me think when I heard him talk with such enthusiasm about analysing his own game and listening to the criticism of the pundits, it made me feel, oh, I wish I'd been a bit more James Madison. 
Do you know what I mean? With your I, post-game interviews? Yeah, no, not with that. With, with analysing my own game and listening to people. I, I just love the way that he, he just seems so eager to learn and to improve. Obviously, it was different then. Less games were on TV and I can barely remember mm-hmm. sitting through one of my past performances. But just, yeah, I just wish I'd listened, listened to criticism a little bit more and, and to analyse my own game. But yeah, I, I thought that was a real real highlight. And, and I, I just feel that James Madison is a great role model for young right. players that are coming through, because because he, he he's he's at the top of the tree, really. Yet you can you can hear in his voice how eager he is to learn. Adrian, hey, I just want to say, don't be too hard on yourself. Everything you did back then was a step on the journey that's brought you to where you are today. <laughs> and now you're listening, and now you're talking about football. And uh, <laughs> it's pretty special to be here with you, Duncan. I think you wanted to say something. Well, I don't want to be Captain Contrary, but I thought people went oh, a bit over the go. top about that. That interview. I mean, yeah, it was a a pretty nice, interesting interview. But in the low age, I'm surprised in the lower leagues, you get players talking like that all the time. I suppose it was a bit more unusual for the Premier League. But, um, you know, a lot of footballers kind of take that level of interest now. I think one of the nice things about Madison was him sort of name checking players he's watched who've influenced him and and, 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 and making a point of, of sort of referring to... Uh, opponents by name and things like that just a sort of a respect for the profession that I'm sure Mm. as Adrian says all footballers have but to actually have it articulated was quite nice and quite refreshing and I think it's also quite helpful for Madison because I I think there was probably a time when when people looked at him and you know there were a a couple of off-field things there was that rather uh, peculiar see-through Louis Vuitton bag that he turned up for a game with. And I think there was a feeling that he was maybe a bit of a flash git, that he'd perhaps got a little bit ahead of himself. And I think actually what these interviews have done in recent weeks has shown that actually right. he is, uh, you know, someone who's, whose love for the game just, just shines out of him. Um, and, uh, you know, it happening at a time when he's, when he's banging form, you know, scoring goals and, uh, you know, and, and helping his team challenge for the title. So yeah, good on him. Good on him indeed. All right. Excellent midweek for James Madison. Scoring for his third game in a row. Let's check out the rest of the midweek results. Uh, The action since our last show uh, saw Monday. Arsenal having a comfortable time of it uh, against Newcastle. A 3-0 win with a brace from Aubameyang. Tuesday then, West Ham had a 2-1 victory over former Hammers manager Big Sam. And Leicester beat former Chelsea manager Frank Lampard to go top. Wednesday, Man City overcame Villa's plucky resistance to push Leicester back down into second, though. And then Man United won at Fulham to push City in their turn off top spot. So now, uh, Man United lead two points clear of Man City and Leicester. City, though, have a game in hand, as do Liverpool, who now lie six points off the top but play Thursday evening against Burnley, with none of the bottom teams picking up points. Pete Hawkes asks... The lead has changed hands a lot in the Premier League this season. What is the record for one season? Could it be broken this time out, Duncan? You tend to get seasons where maybe a couple of teams are back and forth quite a lot. Um, what we're on course for this season, if City and the uh, Man City, that is, end the day at the top of the table, which they didn't quite do this week because obviously United played after them, it'll be the first season in Premier League history where we've had nine different leaders at the top of the table, which really kind of wow. reiterates the topsy-turvy nature of this season. So, uh, And it's so, pretty so inevitable, the, I'd say, that City are going to go top. At some point between now and the end of the season, they or somebody else taking the lead yeah. will be up to nine different leaders. Can you list yeah. them for us, Duncan? 
It's uh, Liverpool, Leicester, Spurs, City, Arsenal, United, Chelsea, Southampton and Everton. Crikey. Half the Premier League almost. Can I just say thank goodness for that as well? I mean, this season is so weird with no fans and it feels so flat watching so many of these games. The fact that, that so many teams are competitive, I think, is is keeping interest you know, among the wider masses alive. The wider masses. Hello to you if you're one of them. <laughs> uh, what did you make of the Mancunians, by the way? Tom? Uh, City, very impressive. Um, mm-hmm. But the the game sort of followed a pattern that you could almost have predicted from the minute you saw the City team sheet in that once again Pep Guardiola with, went without any recognised strikers and you had this sort of kind of curious 4-2-4 system with Foden and Sterling wide, De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva kind of taking it in turns to occupy the point of the attack and Jao Cancelo coming into midfield, very dynamic, very fluid got in good positions, made chances, Villa defending quite deep at times, an awful lot of last-ditch blocks, you know, defenders throwing themselves in front of the ball. But City just weren't able to create any, um, you know, or or weren't able to capitalise on any of those goal-scoring chances. Uh, And in the end, it took that slightly controversial uh, Bernardo Silva goal to put them ahead and then Gabriel Jesus gets the penalty later on but you know that has been City's problem this season Uh, Sergio Aguero has has barely played Gabriel Jesus hasn't really been been on it and so they have dominated games quite frequently uh, but struggled to put games to bed but it was a really entertaining game I mean even before Mm. uh, we got the opener and all the controversy that came with it it was one of the best games I'd seen all season it was only nil-nil and you know another game that will give City a huge amount of belief because Villa are a really good team they conceded very few goals. They were super fresh. They'd not played for a couple of weeks. They had a really good go at it, and City still found a way of found a way of of coming through at the end. Six straight wins for them now in the league. Two points off the top with a game in hand, and, and they are moving into form in a way that feels a bit ominous. Mm, indeed, so Dean Smith getting sent off for his protest over City's opener, apparently for asking the fourth official, "Did you get juggling balls for Christmas?" Yeah, it took me a couple of minutes to to work out what he meant. Um, quite me subtle, too, yeah. but obviously, mm-hmm. you know, calling the ref a clown essentially. Um, I would have I would have gone red nose or flower that's two minutes, water out. Two for minutes me. to work that out, Duncan. All right, Come Adrian, on. I'm not a clown expert. I'm, you know, <laughs> he got booked for the juggling balls reference and then got a straight red card for saying something else. So I wonder whether he himself thought that was too subtle. I've yeah, maybe. Booking, right. And maybe what got him the red was he'd gone you know, a subsequent nuanced. clarification of what, exactly what he'd meant. He got a yellow for obscurity and then a red red for calling the ref a cheat, which is, you know, you can swear at refs, but if you do call them a cheat, as we saw with the Tony Adams, David Ellery thing back in the 80s, that is the big no-no if you call a ref a cheat. Um, but it does feel like this season is a bit like a you are the ref fever dream constantly because every, every week there's some incident where... It turns out that this is actually legal or it's barely legal. You know, this incident, apparently, according to the laws, is, was fine because Mings had, had kind of started a new phase of play. But I'm sure 99% of people would say that that looked very wrong. Well, the referee wasn't in that 99%, nor were the folks at Stockley Park. So uh, that's how it went. Uh, what about Man United? Meantime, also victorious, but with one or two nervous moments away at Craven Cottage later on on Wednesday night in that 2-1 win over Fulham. Seventh time this season they've come from behind to win a game. And, of course, the uh, the victory 
courtesy of an absolute worldie from Paul Pogba. Alex Cooney saying, does it not say a lot for Ollie's people management and level-headedness that the players that Mourinho called out have been some of the best footballers in this title race for United? Sure, outstanding. Fred, one of the best box-to-box midfielders, and Pogba scoring winners. What do you think? I think that's a good point. I really do. I think that, that for whatever Ole Gunnar Solskjaer lacks in sort of tactical acumen and now, so I don't think he's as bad as some people make him out to be on that score, but, but he isn't the world's greatest coach, I don't believe, but he is a good man manager. And I think his laid back style is helping his players to flourish. There's, there's no real panic, is there? And, and the stats do, do bear that out. 13 teams have scored the opening goal more often than Manchester United this season. They've only done it seven times, yet they find themselves top of the league. They, they've got an amazing record at coming from behind. They actually average 2.33 points from 1-0 down, um, which is just crazy. Only wow. two other teams average more than a point. So look, they've got character, and I think his handling of, of Pogba... Um, after his agent had, had, had come out and said that he wants to leave, I thought I thought that was just so calm because he, he put the team first. He's, he's clearly just dealing with Pogba man to man and and allowing him to, to flourish. It's um, yeah, it's been one of the stories of the season really because we all expected it to all fall apart with Pogba and it hasn't. Well, yeah, I mean, those in the know say that he's still very keen on moving away if a club comes in with the money for him this this summer. But on the subject of those stats agents, so what you're saying is they actually do much, do they do much better if they've gone a goal down than they do from, say, nil-nil or one-nil up? Well, their average points tally for the actual season so far is 2.1 points a game. So, yes, right. in, in, in But that reality, includes they're, the games they come from behind in. I'd be interested in seeing a comparison of the games that they go a goal up in. I don't say this lightly, but we need to stop with these numbers. Come on. Right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, it was another... The, the important number is the number one. And that's where Man United are right now with two points over Man City and Leicester City. Perhaps the biggest result, though, midweek featured the Foxes Tuesday night at the King Power. We'll get onto that next. Oh, uh, Doctor, he's waking up. Oh, what, what's going on? Uh, where am I? You've been asleep for the last year, and the world has changed. I've prepared a file here on everything that's happened, but uh, brace yourself. Well, how bad could it be? Uh, uh, oh, my God. Yes, hard to comprehend, isn't it? Yeah. Lampard spent how much? 250 million on nothing but donkeys. Oh, put me back under talk. Paddy Power. 18 plus, be gambled This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. And it's a chance for 2 0 at the other end. And it's put away by Madison. A loop ball. He kept running into the box. Not one of his most spectacular goals, but a very important one. Yep, Leicester 2, Chelsea 0. A game rich in significance, perhaps. First off, because it, it was another convincing win for Leicester, who've actually got more points now than they did at this stage of their title-winning season. Woo! Crikey. Also, all this success coming without goals from Jamie Vardy. He hasn't scored, I think, now in five, but they keep racking up the, the points. I mean, I could tell you 
how many per game, but I don't think Duncan would be too excited by that. How, how impressed are you with Leicester? How high could their prospects actually be? Yeah, I think they're very impressive. And I think it was a game that was illustrative of where these two teams are at the moment. As you say, Jamie Vardy hasn't scored for a few games. Didn't really have a kick against Chelsea, but it didn't matter because Leicester are such a well-oiled unit. They're so cohesive. Um, they're so well organised both with and without the ball that if a player isn't really on his game they can still get through it whereas Chelsea you know we know the difficulties that Timo Werner has has had Uh, he was on the bench at Leicester uh, that Kai Havertz has had and and those individual failings really stick out like a sore thumb because the team just isn't functioning and I think one thing that really comes across watching Leicester is the sense that you are watching a team a group of players who've been playing together for a little while who are used to playing together, who know what's expected of them. You saw that in the way they approached the game, pressing very high, very aggressively. And then once they had the lead, second half sort of dropping back to halfway. James Madison spoke about how they'd sort of changed the shape a little bit. Um, and, and when they're on the ball, uh, you know, you sense that that sort of the understanding that there is between Tielemans and Madison and Harvey Barnes and Vardy. Um, and, you know, they just look like a proper football team. You just don't get that with Chelsea, either with or without the ball. And, and I think what one of the most damning things about Frank Lampard is that when he is asked to explain his team's failings, which has become quite a, a, a frequent thing that he's had to do in recent times, I get the impression that he's not fully sure himself why things aren't working. He keeps going back to these sort of slightly worn out cliches about not doing the basics and not picking up men. But for me, it feels like someone who is slightly baffled by the lack of success his team is having. And I, I, you know, he is in a slightly unique situation as a, a young, inexperienced coach having to integrate all these new signings He's had various injuries and, and absences to contend with. Um, but I think that whereas a more experienced manager would think, right, OK, I've got all these players to, to, to assimilate into the team. This is how we're going to play. This is my sort of starting eleven. I'm not going to deviate from it too much. He's just been sort of casting around, you know, players are popping up in different positions week to week. You have no real sense of, of, of what he's trying to get towards. And I think the... Um, you know, the, the sort of contrast between that and, and the way that Brendan Rodgers has given Leicester an identity was really, really striking. Yeah, I agree completely with everything Tom's just said. What, what he's effectively describing is one well-coached team and one team that's not being well-coached. I think that we can all pick a team of, of big-name players that can go out on the ball and, and, and get you over the line in certain games, but... But getting a team to buy into your your methods out of possession and, and getting them to be so switched on out of possession and so organised and so disciplined, that for me is astute management. And Brendan Rodgers nails that. He's got that down to the, down to the ground. Frank Lampard, I'm, I'm not seeing any of that for, from him at the moment. And, and that's the big, big difference between those two teams and, and those two coaches. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You heard it in the now fabled James Madison interview after the game. You know that he talked about the tweaks Brendan made mid-game at half-time, even the goal from the corner. You know, it's very unusual. Albrighton passed it to Madison, who passed it back to Albrighton. And normally, nine times out of ten, Albrighton would have been offside in that position, but he wasn't, and they managed to pull Chelsea around. But I think you can kind of link it back to Solskjaer as well. You know, people kind of said, "Oh, Solskjaer's inexperienced." Um, and Lampard kind of got away with that. And this idea that managers are just as good as they're ever going to be, Brendan Rodgers shows, you know, he got sacked at Watford, didn't do brilliantly at Reading. 
he you know he's improved as his career's gone on and he's now a really top coach and you know that if you put him in charge of this Chelsea team he would get a lot more out of them than Frank Lampard is and that isn't to say that Lampard couldn't get to that point but this you know we see it so many times with big name players that get parachuted into big jobs um, and they're not ready and that seems to be where we are with Chelsea. Described as the Dido Harding of football, indeed, by Johnny Nicholson at Football 365 this week because of the way that he's you know, effectively been given that job. Five defeats in the last eight. Only Newcastle have conceded more away goals than, than Chelsea since the start of last season. But those things that you were describing, that teamwork, etc., they take time, no? Do you, do you need Frank to be dismissed before he can learn those those things? Or, or could he not acquire that those skills at Stamford Bridge? Or is it that the club can't afford to wait because their chances of, of uh, finishing in the top four are diminishing week by week? Well, this is the thing, and it, it, this is what it always comes down to with Chelsea managers. No Chelsea manager will ever be given time. And, you know, given time, Lampard could yet become a successful coach. But... From what we've seen so far this season, uh, you know, we know that that Roman Abramovich's finger will already be on the trigger because he doesn't like to see his team you know, racking up defeats and, and sliding down the table. I mean, the one saving grace is that because this is such a, an odd season and because the season is so compressed, uh, a few good wins... Uh, you know, would would turn things around pretty quickly. Um, but you know, if things don't improve, Lampard is just not going to get that time. And you know, from his personal perspective, if he ends up losing his job, you sort of think, where does he go from here? Because as you know, as a, a Chelsea legend starting out in management, his ultimate objective would have been to become Chelsea manager. That will have been his ambition from the start, and he's already had it, and he's in the process of West failing mm. at it. Well, there we go. Yeah. Sort of like Celtic, reverse, reverse Celtic of his playing career, but uh, oh yeah, I mean Celtic, but yeah, the ultimate Lampard Gerard duel. Mm. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't pay to see <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, uh, but and I mean, just to go back to his, you know, the, the way that he kind of explained away Paul Scholes at St Mirren. <laughs> yeah, surely Paul Scholes would have to be like in a different league because he wouldn't actually fit, so he'd just have to watch from from the margins. Um, but just, yeah, just lastly on Lampard, you know, when he was talking about the, the failure to adequately defend the set piece from which Leicester took the, the lead, he makes it sound as if that wasn't his responsibility. It's like, oh, you, you didn't mm. defend that set piece well. well. Well, what happened when you were doing set pieces on the training ground? Did someone, you know, come along and, and bundle you into a porter cabin and, and prevent you from kind of telling your players how to how to handle situations like this? Um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, we... We, we, it does feel like one of those situations that we, we arrive at with Chelsea every now and again where results have gone south and you know that it's probably, uh, unless there's a, a sharp upturn, a matter of time until the manager gets the sack. So a bit like newsrooms used to have the Queen Mum's obituary standing by on a, on a, on a shelf. I think the piece about, you know, that photo of the Chelsea corner flag and, and etc. and the story that goes with it has been standing by, and I think it's a bit of an open secret now for some while, Chelsea have pretty much put a wantad out in the papers saying, must love dogs and, and speak German, and uh, Thomas Tuchel among the names, as well as one, a lot of talk that former much-loved Chelsea figure Avram Grant might be making his return, not as a manager, but in some terms of kind of part of the structure uh, there. How far away do we... Um, could, for example, this weekend, Adrian, could their game against Luton Town see that story finally published? Well, it's unlikely, let's be honest, but it, it's not impossible because Luton are quite dangerous opponents. They're managed by a, a former teammate of mine. 
Nathan Jones, and and they he's a very good tactician, by the way. And and they've got five away clean sheets. They've got a bit of pace up front. Most of their away games this season, I think 11 of 13, have only had two goals or less. So that they're very good at frustrating opponents on the road. And look, if they can keep it tight, keep it at nil-nil for into the second half at Stamford Bridge, even without the crowd um, getting on the players' back, that you know this Chelsea side could get nervous. So, so it's an unlikely shot, but it, it, I would put it down as as a possibility here because Luton Luton are, are playing pretty well at the moment. They 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 went to Bournemouth the other week and won one nil. For me, it wouldn't be outlandish to 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 think that they could at least take them to extra time and and maybe penalties the one positive for chelsea i suppose is that it's tended to be their their reserve players that have played better this season i know quite a lot of chelsea fans were annoyed that hudson odoi got substituted at leicester rather than gq's uh, christian pulisic because you know hudson odoi has looked pretty pretty decent recently so you'd imagine those players would get a run out against luton why why gq's christian pulisic he did a photo shoot this week, which came out. Um, he's looking looking pretty good, actually. But you know, okay. when your team's in a bad run of form, these things can yeah. backfire a little bit. Quite a, quite a sensual mm-hmm. photo shoot. Echoes of the oh, famous no. Landon kind of Donovan thing? licking the. Um, what was it? What was he? What was he licking? Was it a water water fountain? Echoes of that. Strong echoes that. of that. Look it up. Honestly, you're in. You're in for it. Open for a surprise. You don't want to be licking water fountains in oh, 2021. No. Put it that way. The only time I've read GQ in recent years is while, while I'm waiting to have my hair cut. Of course, I can't have that at the moment. So, yeah, this is all, all gone straight over my head. Damn. Okay, so so this really, if you haven't looked at it, uh, don't, uh, listener, because it will disturb the rest of your day. So Landon is, is clutching one of those kind of waist-high water fountains with both hands, bent double, but glancing sideways suggestively at the camera with his mouth open and this stream of liquid touching his lips. It's extraordinary. In the week that drink water left Chelsea, it doesn't look a very effective way of taking off fluid for me. Um, it was part of a photo shoot with the entire US squad. You've also got Kobe Jones, um, Casey Keller, Brian McBride, all posing in a very sort of like 90s NSYNC fashion. There was a piece about it actually uh, on The Athletic, uh, yeah. which was a very yeah. entertaining Amazingly, there was recommend. a long read about it on The Athletic. Could you believe yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. The story behind the most famous photo shoot in American soccer history. Well, there you go. That's where you can read all about that. Speaking of Danny Drinkwater, he is one high-profile departure that has happened from Chelsea uh, this week. He hasn't played for them in almost two and a half years, but he finally departed their books for Istanbul side Kasim Pasa, who are 15th in the Turkish Super League or Premier League years on tour, as James Horncastle described them uh, this week. Drinkwater, who famously opened a restaurant in Manchester and called it Eat well, just disappointing. I think should have called it eat food. Surely, maybe he want maybe he wanted to call it eat food and ran into difficulty because of the high street uh, sandwich chain eat. I, I I'm speculating wildly here, but that would have been the obvious one to go for. Doesn't it go really well with his name though? Drink water, eat well. Perhaps so. Perhaps so. It probably tested well in the Manchester area. Drink water from a well would be better for me. But anyway. There are. There are. He could have called it drink food and not, had an not innovative. Not if you Landon Donovan stuff. He could have called it. He could have called it drink food and had an innovative liquid only food menu, only oh, yeah. soups and infusions and stuff. 
Maybe one mm. for his next investment opportunity. <laughs> there were a couple of other Premier League games that took place midweek, which we haven't really given attention to. Arsenal-Newcastle and also West Ham continuing their great start to the year with a 2-1 victory over West Brom. The Hammers have now won their first four games in a calendar year for only the second time in their history. A little bit of controversy about this game as well with Robert Snodgrass, who West Brom had just signed from West Ham, unable to take the field. Sam Allardyce saying afterwards that the terms of his his transfer had said that he, he wouldn't be able to actually take part in this game, but that's against the Premier League's regulations and they are apparently investigating. In the meantime, Duncan, impressive stuff from David Moyes' team. Yeah, and we have to give them praise. And, um, you know, it's their highest ever points total halfway through a Premier League season. Um, they're even on course for a positive goal difference, which might not sound impressive, but they've only done it once in their last 28 top flight seasons. Um, so it's pretty rare. And, you know, Antonio looks good. I mean, I think the one thing is that now they've sold Haller, they, they really do need to get another striker in this month because, you know, Antonio's not got the, the best injury record. And, and if he gets injured, then that could curtail their, their campaign. But yeah, fair play. Yeah, I'm really impressed, James, with Moyes' tactical approach as well. The foundation of this season was built on, on a five-man defence. Um, and he's kind of changed it in recent weeks, gone back to a back four, and, and they're just as solid as they were. And I, th- I think the two fullbacks have been very, very impressive, uh, Creswell and, and Soufau. I think they're two, two players that really complement the players that, that play ahead of them, whether it's Ben Rama or, or uh, Fournals on the left and Bowen on the right. They like to come inside, and then these two fly on the outside, and, and the quality that they're putting into the box is, is very, very high. Currently lying seventh, West Ham, just two points off the top four. Rare example of a goal scored with a uh, shoulder from Jared Bowen. Tend to think you only really notice when uh, newspapers do like graphics of body mm. parts that have been used to score goals, and they like when they do it with Messi. And there's always one that was his chest, which I think was the Club World Cup final. Hmm. And then there was one with his hand from that sneaky handball he did. So if anyone ever does that for Jared Bowen, and in years to come, one of the goals is off his shoulder, I'm sure we'll all remember that goal against West Brom and think, ah, yeah. Indeed. Still to come from the Premier League, we've got Liverpool-Burnley this Thursday evening. And then there's a rearranged game between Aston Villa and Newcastle at the weekend. But apart from that, the weekend is all about the Cup. And so are we on Totally Football Show after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. FA Cup fourth round, listener. Yes, 16 games. It all kicks off Friday evening at Victory Park in Chorley, Lancashire, with the biggest mismatch of the round, a sixth-tier Chorley out of National League North, take on Wolves. Last round's other surprise winners, Crawley and Plymouth, who put out Leeds and Huddersfield, will be taking on Bournemouth and Sheffield United. This time, League Two promotion chasers Cheltenham Town will welcome Manchester City to the Johnny Rocks Stadium. Johnny Rocks, the leading luxury VIP chauffeur and executive car service company in Gloucestershire in the southwest. A holder's Arsenal 
will face Saints in one of only two All-Premier League matchups, the other one being Sunday's Man United-Liverpool game at Old Trafford. Everton hosts Sheffield Wednesday in a repeat of the 66 FA Cup final and the round ends Monday night at Adams Park as Wickham Wanderers host Tottenham Hotspur. Wow, Wickham Wanderers through to the fourth round for only the second time in their history. Duncan, how are you feeling? Um, yeah, looking forward to it, actually. I mean, I was... You know, the FA Cup, I felt, was the competition that struggled most with the pandemic in the sense that you lose all the, you know, all the fans at lower league and non-league grounds and stuff. But um, once Wickham smashed Preston in the third round, I was all for it, especially once we drew Spurs. And uh, yeah, if it's as good as the um, the Tottenham-Wickham game from 2017, when we, right. we lost 4-3, but it was a, a ding-dong battle end-to-end. We were 3-2 up with seven minutes to go. And uh, yeah, it was really good. And as I pointed out in the View from the Lane podcast earlier this week, it sums up the magic of football, really, that at the start of the game, the Spurs fans were a bit, you know, lackadaisical about the, the match, playing a, a weakened team against a lower league side. But when they scored, when Sun scored a last minute winner to make it 4-3, they were, their fans were on the pitch, you know, hugging players on their knees, just shows that a last minute winner is a last minute winner. Well, I think that's very, very true. So that was 2017. That was at White Hart Lane. Now we're back at your place and Wickham, unarguably, are a stronger side. Could you be at the right end of a shock scoreline this time? Well, I think the big the big factor is going to be the fact that Tottenham play Liverpool on Thursday. So that's only three days afterwards. And, um, you know, you'd expect Mourinho to, to prioritise that game. So... Uh, it should be, again, a weakened team. And, yeah, Wickham, we are bottom of the championship but are improving in recent weeks. So, yeah, there's there's definitely a chance. I mean, obviously, I suppose Gareth Bale will, will be in the team given his lack of opportunities in the Premier League. So that will be, uh, you know, Akinfenwa probably should get a run out as well. So if you ever want to see Bale and Akinfenwa on the same pitch, Monday night is possibly your first and only chance. Crikey. Adrian, you were talking about Luton's prospects against Chelsea. What other games from uh, this round have you got your eyes on? I got my eye on on the sort of um, seaside derby, Brighton against Blackpool. Actually, hmm. the Rock Derby. Yes, <laughs> yeah, party conference classico. <laughs> um, because I see Blackpool, they're not they're no great shakes. They're not one of the better teams in League One. But they're pretty fearless in the way that they go about their work. They press high up the pitch. They've got some some talented players in forward areas. And they've got the self-proclaimed York and Cole partnership of League One up top. This is Gary Medine and Jerry Yates who, who labelled themselves uh, York and Cole, which, which me and Sam Parkin like to rib them for when they go on goal droughts on the, on the Totally Football League show. But, um, but, but that besides, they, they are good players. And they've just been boosted by by uh, loaning a, a kid from Everton, Ellis Sims, who's a striker as well. So they've got goals in them, and and Brighton, as we know, are not are not a prolific goal scoring side this season. Obviously, they played great at Leeds, but but I I can see this as the sort of match where we where we could see goals at uh, both ends of the pitch. So yeah, one of the better ties to watch. And you, you only have to look at the way Blackpool played against West Brom. They attacked that game. They didn't sit on the edge of their own box. They went for it, and I think they had 17 shots. So, yeah, it should be a good game. What about Doncaster's chances at the uh, West Ham side that we were just uh, marvelling at? 
Well, yeah, I, Doncaster are one of the better teams in, in League One, and you would imagine that West Ham will will rotate quite heavily for this game. And in the past, they've 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 been upset and really tested, haven't they, West Ham, by lower league teams uh, on home turf. So again, yeah, Doncaster have got good players in forward areas. Okunabiri is on fire at the moment. He's not the only one. There's there's a Loney, Taylor Richards, kid from Arsenal, Tyrese John Jules. These guys. They've got the ability to to take the fight to West Ham if they're not at it. Obviously, West Ham should win. But but like any FA Cup game, if the big gun, a casual, they take their eye off the ball and the opponent is brave, then, then the chance of an upset can happen. And, and I do think Doncaster are, are quite brave going forward. And also, they're, they're one of the best, most solid defensive teams in the division as well. Darren Moore manages them. And it was interesting, he's... He's been heavily linked with Sheffield Wednesday this week. He's climbed the bookies' odds. I think he's second or third favourite now. And I think, yeah, he's, he's good enough for Sheffield Wednesday, that's for sure. They've also got James Coppinger, who's just turned 40 and is still playing really well. So that's that's got FA Cup headline written on over, hasn't it? You mentioned some of the circumstances that can lead to a cup upset. Of course, having your first team out and fielding the, uh, the juniors because of COVID-19 is another one. That's all surely make their way past Derby County last time. They're up against Wolves this Friday in the biggest mismatch in terms of league positions of the round. Uh, Surely, as we mentioned, in the sixth tier, it took a concerted effort with kettles and hair dryers and the groundsman Ben Kay sleeping on the pitch overnight to make the uh, ground practicable uh, for the game against Derby. He's been rewarded with a uh, with a job at Wembley uh, to get the the turf there ready for the cup final, so that's good. Surely Wolves, meanwhile, is a game with plenty of history behind it. Hey, eh, Duncan? Yes, for Wolves fans, uh, I think it was the nadir of their club. In 1986, they uh, they lost in a second replay to Chorley. Uh, not something you see anymore. Uh, I think it was at Burnden Park, Bolton's old ground. Um, and, yeah, it was, you know, Wolves obviously in the 80s went from the top flight to the fourth tier in quick succession. Um, and this really was as low as it got. And it led to some pretty... Uh, good headlines. There was one bit about the once great wolves climbed unprotestingly into their coffin last night, fangs removed by the multi-part men from Chorley, which, I mean, that is excellent. And then apparently one headline was, and I've never seen this before, pathetic beyond adequate description. And that needs to come back. (laughs) Yeah, agreed. Seconded. More brutal headlines, please. Right. Proper Chorleys. That was another one. Anyway, uh, prospects... For similar upsets this time around, Tom? Well, it feels like a potential upset in that um, Chorley are at home, have been on a decent run of form in the league. I think it's only two defeats in the last 12 games, albeit two of those have been quite recent. Um, And Wolves are struggling uh, in terms of league form. Six games without a win, uh, lost at home to West Brom last time out, obviously quite a, a painful one. For Wolves fans to lose, but the caveat to that is that they they beat Palace in the third round. Nuno Espirito Santo put out quite a strong team, which suggests that you know he's um, he's not looking to rest players in the competition this season. So you would you would expect that even with the history and you know the romance of this being the you know the sort of standout tie in terms of uh, the, the gap between the two teams, that Wolves, if they put a decent team out, they they should come through this without too many problems. Yeah, I'm sure they only got by because it was the Derby kids. But you, know, you never know with the cup. The winner of that will get a visit from Saints against Arsenal, which is Saturday lunchtime. 
big game this for Theo Walcott. Four years ago, these two teams met in the fourth round. Walcott was playing for Arsenal. He got a hat-trick in this in what was a 5-0 win for the Gunners. They also had a 2-0 victory over Saints uh, at St Mary's in the league last June. And they're coming off a 3-0 win over Newcastle. Adrian, how excited are you? <laughs> yeah, a little bit excited. I, I, I always like watching Arsenal in the FA Cup. Obviously, they, they're the most successful team in the history of the competition. And, and Southampton are actually lucky opponents for Arsenal. They've beaten them in all four FA Cup ties that they've faced one another. And on three of those years, they went on to win... Win the trophy. So, so if you if you're a fan of omens, uh, if Arsenal win at the weekend, then I mean, then, then... you should point out that one of those was against Southampton in the final. So going on to <laughs> win the trophy, true. like naught point naught naught one seconds later after the final. Don't, don't don't knock it. Don't knock. You're you're a stat bashing today, Duncan. This is this is most unusual. <laughs> um, but look, Arsenal, yeah, good record in the competition. Pretty good away, actually. Have won. 11 of their last 12. But I think what plays into Arsenal's favour here is Southampton have got quite a long injury list. Um, they're down to the bare bones a bit. And if, you, if you've seen their subs bench in recent weeks, it's it's not been filled with with game changers. So so that that's an advantage. But but for me, it's a tough game. Clearly, Southampton having a, having a good season. Um, this cl- I'm not buying into the fact that Arsenal are suddenly the world's greatest side at the back. Five clean sheets in a row. Mm. But... Um, First time in twelve years. Yeah, would well, have prior to that. It was only a, a couple of weeks ago. You know, I was talking on a, on a show on Arsenal TV, saying that that they had gone eleven Premier League games at Emirates Stadium without a clean sheet, and and that was the worst run since nineteen eighty four. So it's it, I think it's just been a kind kindish fixture list, and um, yeah, this is yeah, it's an even cup tie, but but history says Arsenal might sneak it. You look at the games they've got coming up. After this game against Southampton, they go back to St Mary's in the league. They've then got Man United at home, Wolves away, Villa away, home to Leeds, and then they've got Benfica in the first leg of their Europa League tie. I think these next few weeks are really going to tell us how uh, durable this Arsenal turnaround is. I mean, there's, there's obviously a huge amount of momentum there and optimism, and, and it's been good to see Arsenal playing well um, and you know having these kids come in and, and do so well, but... Uh, yes, uh, the the next few weeks are really going to determine whether that is just a sort of flash in the pan revival or whether there is something that they can really build on there. Just one thing to add, um, Thomas Partey didn't get that many headlines for his return to the side the other night, but I thought he was superb for, for 66 minutes. And him and Xhaka, just two sort of pillars there in the in the middle of midfield, they, they did work well together. And, and I think they can combine to, to protect that defence quite well moving forward so so we'll see we'll see how it goes but I, I liked what I saw from Xhaka and Partey perhaps a tougher test then for Arsenal Saturday lunchtime other fixtures this weekend in the cup include Man United against Liverpool we'll be talking about that and a little history next this episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu.
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. It was the sort of final the fans dream about but don't often see. Goals in plenty and the most dramatic second half seen for years. Everton put every ounce they had into a winning effort. They were twice the team they'd been in the first half. That speedy left-winger Derek Temple had a great chance and made no mistake. If it's history you're after, you can't say fairer than Everton-Sheffield Wednesday. This week in a rematch of the classic 1966 FA Cup final. Probably the biggest game at Wembley that year. A, a match which saw goals galore, two pitch invaders. Not even a cup final can prevent the Goodison Park spirit invading Wembley. That Bobby ought to be playing at Twickenham. And Everton coming from 2-0 down to beat Sheffield Wednesday 3-2 in the crowd that day. John Lennon and Paul McCartney. That's exciting, isn't it? Anyway, they go again this Sunday. Uh, late, actually, 8 o'clock Sunday night. Sheffield Wednesday won three out of three since they got rid of Tony Pulis. How about that? What do you think, Adrian? Well, they got a chance. Rotherham pushed pushed Everton really, really close in, in the last round. Um, Sheffield Wednesday have been solid at the back all season. They're not, even though they're struggling at the foot of the championship, they're not. They're not awful. They're not shambolic without the ball. So they so they could keep it tight and and they've started to play with a bit more fluency going forward under under Thompson, the, the caretaker manager Neil Thompson. Um, but hand on heart, I, th- I think that Everton will probably win this one. A- Ancelotti is. He's a manager that I really like, and and he's. Yeah, I've just been really impressed with Ancelotti this season. We've seen different sides of Everton in terms of the tactics, the shapes. Come up with he's, he's come up with different variants uh, depending on who's been out injured. Last time out, it was Godfrey at left back with Dina in front of him. Yeah, he's he's such an adaptable coach, and I, I think having got the Rotherham game out of the way and sneaked it, I expect a more focused Everton here, and I, I think they'll win. All right. Speaking of history, by the way, if you're listening to us on Friday the 22nd of January, then it's actually the 94th anniversary of the very first time a football match was broadcast live on the radio. Uh, The game was Arsenal against Sheffield United, as you probably recall. And famously, to help the listeners follow what was going on, the Radio Times printed that helpful plan of the pitch with uh, the field divided into eight numbered squares with commentator Henry Blythe Thornhill Wakelam using those numbers in his commentary to explain where the ball was, and this is popularly believed to be the origin of the phrase... No. Apocryphal. Uh, uh, this is where you are say... you going to say back to square one? Yes, yeah. Tom. But... Unfortunately, that is an urban myth. What? Uh, because the phrase back to square one was never used on commentary because it wouldn't have made any sense. Uh, the square one equated to one team's left-back zone. Right. Um, you know, it, it, it's not an area of the pitch where teams habitually sort of return to. Might have been um, in 27. So, yeah, that, that, is, that is an urban myth that has been perpetuated over the ages. There's, there's no definitive answer as to where it came from. Uh, there's some suggestions it's from board games like Snakes and Ladders, but there is... Yeah, but that doesn't work either because there's no snake back to one. So true. So yeah, the mystery, the mystery uh, prevails. Right. Okay. Well, that took the wind out of my cells a bit. <laughs> no, I think it's oh, important okay. information because it, I think it's a it's one of those things that get, that is mentioned quite a lot. You hear right. it. And, okay. You know. If we've prevented only one person from wrongly 
repeating that myth, uh, you know, in the next family Zoom call, then we have done yeah. our job, James. All right. Yeah. What about Man United Liverpool, which is also thought to be the origin of the popular expression? What else is on the telly? <laughs> well, <laughs> let's let's hope it's not like last weekend and more like the 1999 FA Cup game between the right. Teams. Uh, their yes. dress rehearsal for the for the Champions League final. Yes, because United scored twice uh, in this game after trailing 1-0 for a long time. Michael Owen scored after two minutes. And uh, I was actually doing a, a sort of part-time job uh, with a guy at this time who was one of those kind of Man United fans who, who loved Man United but had never actually been to Old Trafford and, and always proclaimed how much he, he loved United and they were the, the biggest, best team in the world, which, to be fair, they were and possibly still are and he got tickets for this game and and we saw him on the monday and i was prepared to say look fair play you know your first game at old trafford what a, what a moment what a sort of game against your comeback against your arch rivals um turned out he left with five minutes to go so he <laughs> he missed both of the uh both of the goals um and yeah i, th- I think of that quite a lot actually never leave games early well wow. certainly not that season mm. yeah Producer Charlie very kindly uh, sent us footage of that game, uh, and I'd not watched it for a little while. And the noise is incredible. You just get, you know, the sort of the the, the slow, suspenseful build-up of United trailing at home to their arch rivals for almost the entire game, and then these two goals right at the end: one from Dwight York and one from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Beckham takes it. United's fans invented a chant about Oli Solskjaer on the back of that and it was who put the ball in the Scousers net and of course a few months later it became who put the ball in the Germans net after he did the exact same thing against Bayern Munich and actually when you look back at the United treble winning season the FA Cup was was the scene of great drama because you had both this game um, and of course the the semi-final against Arsenal uh, you know the famous Giggs goal and it was you know there was uh, much more sort of importance placed on these matches than, than we're accustomed to in the FA Cup today. And now it's who gets unfair criticism on the net. Well indeed. Monday, we did rather vow to never hype up uh, Man United-Liverpool clashes again, but this being an FA Cup tie, feels like they will go for it. Now, what do you think? Or will they field the reserves because of the Premier League? I wouldn't field the reserves if I was Jurgen Klopp. And I'll tell you what, even though they've got some really big games coming up, City, Spurs, Leicester, Leipzig, they need to play themselves into form. And I, I just think that, that that's something that a lot of managers tend to, to forget about. I saw it. First hand, actually, um, I went to Papa John's trophy game last week, uh, Peterborough against Portsmouth, and they hadn't played for a while, Peterborough, and were expected to put the reserves out, but they put the full strength 11 out, and they wiped the floor with Portsmouth, and they've since produced two great, two great wins in a row. And I think that Liverpool could do with just getting Thiago Alcantara gelling with those front three a little bit more. It's, I mean, it seems crazy to, to use Manchester United versus Liverpool for match practice, but 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 hopefully you understand where I'm coming from. I, I think they need to play themselves into form ahead of those tough games because they're in a bit of a, they're in a bad place at the moment. The winner of West Ham against Doncaster Rovers awaits whoever is victorious at Old Trafford 
Who do you think that'll be, Tom, Duncan? I, I think United. They've got the form and it's much easier for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to rotate players at the moment because he's not grappling with the injuries that, that Jurgen Klopp is. Uh, I mean, we're recording this before Liverpool play Burnley on Thursday night. So if Liverpool put four or five goals past Burnley, which they're capable of, then the talk of you know Liverpool being in a, a bit of a mini crisis will have, have dissipated. But certainly their, their recent form, as we record, four league games without a win, three league games without a goal, there is clearly... You know, an issue for Liverpool in terms of their recent form. Whereas for United, there's there's much less riding on this game. There's much more positivity around the club. Um, so yeah, I think I think my uh, instinct would be to back United here. Duncan, I'll just I like going against Tom, so I'll say Liverpool. Um, just because sure. presumably United will rotate a bit. You know, Van der Beek surely deserves a a bit of time. A man who's played fewer minutes in the Premier League this season than Kepa. So. Um, Sat has a slight feel of 05-06 for Liverpool this season, where they, last time they won the FA Cup, um, obviously came after uh, a big big trophy the season before, where the, where the following season didn't really live up to expectation. So yeah, Klopp to finally land the FA Cup. Crikey. All right, well, that's what we think. Let's get some odds now from Lee Price of Paddy Power. There once was a cup that you had to see. The whole world wanted the FA's trophy, but the game moved on. Her legend went down. Oh, blow my bully boys, blow. Soon may the FA Cup come to bring us magic and romance and fun. One day when the lockdown is done, we'll take our leave and go. West Ham host on Custer under one to four. Donia ten to one, or it's four to one the draw. But the captain called all hands and swore they'd take that well in tow. Soon may the FA Cup come to bring us magic and romance and fun. One day when the lockdown is done, we'll take our leave and go. Before the boat can hit the wall, our wolves go to Charlie and win. They all are Charlie 22 to 1, so they have a chance, sort of, but it's 1 to 9, they don't. Soon may the FA Cup come to bring us magic and romance and fun. One day when the lockdown is done, we'll take our leave and go. Cheltenham Town host Man City, the underdogs versus a team of greed. The Robins 25 to 1, well, sh- Got speed, City should take that win in tow. Soon may the FA Cup come to bring us magic and romance and fun. One day when the lockdown is done, we'll take our leave and go. For 40 days or even more, Lampard could be sacked, then took all through the door. All hope is lost, but still we're sure Chelsea will win, but that well will go. Soon may the FA Cup come to bring us magic and romance and fun. One day when the lockdown is done, we'll take our leave and go. Bye-bye. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. If you enjoy cup football, then you'll have been enjoying the midweek European games because they've had the Coppa del Rey, Coppa Italia... All those things going on. Copa del Rey. Did you see? Real Madrid got beaten in the last 32 by a side from the third division, the Segunda B. Alcoyano, who had gone down to 10 men but still beat Mighty Madrid. Measured response to this from the Spanish press. Thomas Roncero says it's one of the most embarrassing pages in Madrid's history. Let 2021 end now. It's a nightmare. Zidane's flower has withered forever. Marker simply said, if Zidane is saved from this, it's a miracle. Woof. It makes me wonder what the Spanish is for pathetic beyond adequate description. Right. 
<laughs> Bet they wish they knew. Also experiencing cup difficulties, AS Roma, who got beaten 4-2 by Spezia, with two players sent off, and then turned out to have made six substitutions by mistake. Not a good time for Roma. They got hammered 3-0 in the Rome derby last Friday by Lazio, and uh, one or two question marks there about whether they're heading in the right direction. Not the first time they've had problems with uh, technical issues regarding players and being on the pitch and that, because Amadou Diawara was uh, listed in the wrong part of their squad. which It it felt very unfair, this, but back at the start of the season, they were handed a 3-0 defeat against Verona because they'd listed him in the the under-22s as opposed to the the general part of their squad. But but anyway, Spezia play Napoli in the quarterfinals next week. Spezia, former title winners, of course. What year was that? 1944. There was a war on and they had a a mini league and the Firemen of Spezia, to give them their official title, it was it was basically the Firemen's team, the local fire brigade. Their team won the national title, which was, you know, hailed as such. So Pompieri of Spezia. Anyway, lovely stuff. Cup delights of that ilk await us over the next couple of days. Hopefully you've enjoyed today's preview show for all of that, listener. Many, many thanks to Tom Duncan and Adrian for being with us. We'll be back, of course, early Monday morning with all of the score lines so far. So I do hope you'll join us for that. For now, from all of us here at Totally, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.